podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing, your independent voice of Derby County. The Rams' cup dreams are over for another season, unfortunately, as it proved to be one comeback too far on the South Coast against Premier League Brighton. But the playoff push remains just about on track, despite contrasting performances against Hull City and bottom club Ipswich Town. Uh, joining me to cast a critical eye back on the last fortnight for Derby. He's podcasting answer to Ashley Cole because he proves age is only a number and he's had the odd brush with the law. It's Richard Kutcher. The less said about the law, the better, I think, Chris. Thank you. Fair enough. And later on in the podcast, we'll be tackling the sticky issue of the atmosphere at Pride Park. The club recently backed calls for a dedicated singing section in the South Stand. So we are the chaps from the Club 84 supporters group on the phone to explain the move and tell us why everyone should get involved. But we're going to concentrate on the league, first of all, because Frank Lampard's Rams were knocked out of the FA Cup at the weekend, 2-1 by Brighton. It's a real shame, wasn't it, Richard, given A, how badly we played in that first half, B, how well we have played at times in the Cups this season, and C, how open the FA Cup is. I mean, there's not that many big teams left anymore. It feels to me, like a real opportunity missed. Yeah, it's definitely an opportunity missed to get to Wembley because there's going to be some really um, well-matched quarterfinals, I think, once we see the draw. Uh, you know, the likes of uh, Millwall still in the competition. Um, I think Wolves are playing Bristol City at, at the moment as we speak. Uh, there's some teams that we would have fancied ourselves to, you know, to have a good chance at, at least, of beating in the quarters and, and get to Wembley. And I know that we've been to Wembley for playoff finals in, in recent years, but you know, I think an FA Cup Wembley event is just a completely different kind of atmosphere and, and really once in a decade or opportunity, really. Got a, on the whistle update, uh, Wolves have knocked out Bristol City. OK, so, <laughs> yeah, I mean, Bristol, Bristol City would have been an easier game, but we're out anyway. But good, good luck to Wolves. I think they've got a great shout of getting to the final now. Literally in the last uh, few minutes. You'll have noticed there's only two of us for this pod. Tom Martin's not with us. He's cup-tied. Uh, he was unavailable, unfortunately, but he was pretty angry in the, uh, in the whatsapp group wasn't yeah he? he was quite angry in the whatsapp um, group i'm not sure all of it's quite uh quite suitable to be read out but hopefully we'll hear a bit from him later on so he um the gist of what tom said after the brighton match he said we were desperate for half time to come we had no idea what to do huddleston was criminal for brighton's second goal uh, we lacked creativity without wilson smashing in screamers i disagree with that myself and i'd be surprised if we finished in the top six on that showing um, a little bit harsh, I think. I know he's the, I think, he's the angriest and most passionate of the three of us. but I think if you said on the showing of the first half against Brighton, absolutely, we, we would be very lucky to, to finish in the, in, the top, in the top six. But then you could say that about any half of football. On the, on the first half showing against Chelsea, for example, minus the two own goals, we win the championship easily. So you can't take one half of football in isolation. But Tom's point, I think the, I think the point Tom is getting at and why he's so... De- not depressed, but upset about that match and why other fans have been upset about that first half performance is it came on the back of a really poor performance against Ipswich. So kind of combine those two opportunities together. It's a pretty bad you know, two games of football for Derby, considering we have been on a good run of form in the league. It's been a, yeah, it's been a testing week, hasn't it? It was um, Anthony Knockhart 
literally one of my least favourite players in the Premier League who uh, who got the hosts on the way when we conceded again from across standard before uh, Jurgen Lacardia made it too, thanks to some less than impressive tackling and ball watching from Huddleston and Tamori respectively that Tom did mention there. The thing is that you think after these cup games, after all the heroics we've had this season in the cup, if you're going to go out, you want to go out all guns blazing, don't you? You want to go out in a in a in a blaze of glory. But the frustrating truth is that we allowed Brighton to be far too comfortable in their own backyard, and they didn't even have to be that good to be two 0 up at half time, did they? No, it didn't have to be that good, and I wasn't particularly impressed with them apart from their organisation and their game plan defensively, which is what kind of neutralised us. What you can't, what I can forgive is when a team, particularly a Premier League team, does a tactical job on us defensively and we struggle to break them down. What I can't forgive is the reaction from us defensively. We should have been pressing them high up the pitch, making them uncomfortable through our own pressing game. But the fact is that they they sat off us. They've done what quite a few teams have started doing to us in recent months, which is allow Tamori and Keo to have the ball in, in our own half. Only really challenge the fullbacks when they come into into their half and basically shut down Huddleston and our other playmakers and I think particularly we're missing Mount at the moment because Mount is the kind of player unlike Bryson who can get the ball on the halfway line back to goal either turn his man or, or play a quick one two we're just missing that that extra ball player in the middle alongside Huddleston it was bizarre to watch at times almost wasn't it watching Keo to Tamori and back to Keo again back to Tamori occasionally one of the fullbacks would get it often back going to the backwards backs again yeah um, often losing yards it's just it's quite worrying, even though they were a Premier League side, how easily they cut out the space and how little space we made available for ourselves to try and break them down in that first half. And the concern for me, and it also came around this point last season when teams started to figure out Vidra and how he played around him, is that we are getting worked out, basically, aren't we? Even if it is by a much more tactically astute manager and a team of better players, but... Like Stevens and, and Basuma for Brighton, they just cut Wilson completely out of the game in the first half, didn't they? He didn't really get a kick. And then we had very little width because of that. And we were basically resorting to just lumping it long to Nugent, which is, is never going to work. Like the Brighton centre backs, uh, Duffy and, and Dan Byrne, they're, they're just going to eat those eat those for breakfast like for the entire game, aren't they? Yeah, but that's never going to work, lumping it long to Nugent as a as a. As a last resort or as a regular option you can do it once or twice a game to catch a team out I think with Wilson it wasn't he wasn't wholly victim he wasn't a victim Wilson was partly to blame for that you know Wilson should have been going out wide find the space go if you're getting marked out the game centrally go and find the space we were so narrow even when we did get it wide to either fullback they there's amount of times even in the in the second half until Flojo came on the amount of times that Bogle got the ball in a promising position halfway up the pitch or to halfway up their opposition half, and then he had no other option, no other option wide for him. I mean, he had to turn back in, go back to Keo. The midfielders were not finding the space; they were not stretching the play. I know that lots of our comments on Twitter have kind of highlighted the difference that Flojo made, and it was we need to add more width to that team now. I think you can keep the same formation, but we need outboards to the wings, whether it's Bennett or Flojo or someone on the left who holds the touch line. We need to add width to that team because at the moment. Teams know, as you said, to close down the middle, close down Huddleston, close down Wilson, suffocate their space, and then we run out of options. The reaction that we had on social media afterwards, and it's always that difficult question that is quite hard to answer sufficiently, is was a performance like that the fault of the manager 
order players because I suggested that Lampard would have been furious at half time that um, we were going out of the cup in such a fashion and most of the answers I got were well it's his fault as well which it is to an extent I mean the selections were a bit of an odd one weren't they really I, I couldn't really see the logic in in Waghorn out wide over Yosef Zoon. I mean for two reasons a because Yosef Zoon is a more natural wide man in a three and b because um, Waghorn has just been so much more effective through the middle not only than out wide but also more so than Nugent so it, that that selection up front didn't make a huge amount of sense to me no Nugent doesn't look like scoring at all at the moment we, and we've been over that but as you say Waggon's on such a good uh, vein of form in front of goal he makes defenders uncomfortable you know he would have given those defenders the kind of tough time that Nugent would have done uh, but we would have had more width if you, if you had Flojo starting or, or Bennett starting or someone else on the right wing um, Nugent should just be an impact sub or just just a, just an option off the bench now if if Marriott's not fit, Wagon should be the starting forward, and and that gives you an opportunity to bring more width uh, to the right. The only time I consider playing Wagon right now is when Marriott's fit. The thing I did agree with Tom on was just how crap Huddleston was for that second goal. It was really, it was so poor, wasn't it? Like the fact that he just didn't really look like winning that ball back. The fact that we allowed Brighton's player to shoot. Roos wasn't really going to get near it and it hit the post and came back back in again but then Tamori's on his heels isn't he Tamori. which is a real shame and we have to point out that Tamori's been really good recently yeah, fact, t- I, say, I say he's been excellent but he was ball watching then yeah Tamori and Keo have both been excellent the last few weeks Keo's definitely stepped up his game um, not I've always I'm not one of those regular critics of Keo but you know he has stepped up his game to a higher level so has Tamori I think they've both been real high points in the last month or so but as you say like Tamori he even put his hand up to claim for offside which at the time I was shouting at television telling him what a moron he was because he was marking he was man marking that striker goal side so obviously playing him on side by yard as the shot came in he turned around stood still and and the guy that he was marking ran in front of him and knocked it in the, knocked it in an empty net and he's got his hand up like a lemon we just always seem to go round in circles on Huddleston, I think. I mean, in the sense that this debate just goes backwards and forwards and backwards and forwards, doesn't it? Like In games like the one against Brighton, he gets caught on the ball, um, he isn't combative enough, he's not physical enough, so fans sort of suggest that we should bring in more legs and tenacity and fight in that DMC role. Then someone else comes in, like Evans or Johnson or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's like, you know, we don't look creative enough. We haven't got anyone trying to pick the lock from from deep, trying to get players in behind, like Huddleston did to his credit for the goal that we did score. So we 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 just go backwards and forwards on them, don't we? Because Huddleston can do things with the ball that just none of our players can do, with the possible exception of Wilson, I'd say. But what's the answer? Do you think add someone in with Huddleston, or yeah. just rotate, or or try and? Make just, Huddleston become better. No, it's just about, you're not going to change the kind of player Huddleston is now at this time of his career. He's he's always been the same type of player. So we know we know what he is. We know what his strengths are, and I'm sure that Frank Lampard knows that. I'm sure Huddleston's aware of his own limitations. It's about getting the balance of the whole team right. As you said, you know, someone next to him a bit, a bit more legs. Someone next to him with a bit more movement. That's why I think Huddleston and Mount with someone else, you know, whether that's a Holmes or a Wilson actually works it gives the legs around them it gives you need players with Huddleston that are also going to create space for themselves because when they create space for themselves even if it's at a strange angle Huddleston will find a way to get in the ball Huddleston plays better with better players 
Craig Bryson next to Huddleston is, I think, the worst of all worlds at the moment because Bryson is then... The teams know that they can let Bryson come and get the ball deep because he's not going to pick out a pass. He's going to go back to Keo and Tamori. Bryson never never looks like he wants to play the ball forward when he's in his own half. Um, and he just doesn't create the space for Huddleston. But if you've got someone like Mason Mount in there, and it's you know he's injured at the moment, so we haven't, then that just takes a lot of the kind of pressure of Huddleston as a playmaker because Mount has also got good passing, quick feet, uh, yeah, good under pressure. It's just getting the balance of the team right. I think Huddleston's a brilliant player. He hasn't. He's the same player he was at the start of the season. We just need to build the balance around him a bit better. And it sort of highlights that we we are missing. We, we miss Mount quite a lot I think against so. Ipswich and against Brighton. But he's back in training. I think. I think that's the latest development. So hopefully, he should at least be available off the bench against Millwall. I think with Mount, I know that it, people weren't as impressed with his form in the kind of the month before he got injured or two months before he got injured. But I think what's really been highlighted in the last couple of weeks, even though we have picked up some good results, is that he is actually quite fundamental to the way that we play, particularly when uh, Hodgson's in there as well. Millwall on Wednesday then, that's the next uh, next challenge. We need to bounce back, try and get back to winning ways in the league. But Millwall will be our 40th game of the season. Um so 40 games by by mid to late February. By my reckoning, I'm pretty sure we've played more games than anyone else in this division. Uh, I had a little look earlier. Millwall played 38, QPR played 37. And it definitely showed against Ipswich and Brighton, didn't it? I think we looked leggy in both of those games. We were good for the first 10 minutes or the last 10 minutes against Ipswich, but didn't do, a huge, didn't, didn't do enough in between. And then first half against Brighton we didn't do anything for the first hour basically we don't really have the legs at the moment for a full 90 minute performance is fatigue a concern for you I don't know I don't know if it is the legs I think it's a, I think it's a mindset I think it's a mentality the team finished quite strongly on Saturday against Brighton which would suggest to me it's not necessarily a, a fatigue problem I feel like when teams start the way they do like Brighton did against us when they sit off us let us have the ball at the back it, we kind of fall into a trap of playing a bit too slow and playing faster isn't necessary to fix. It's just we start moving the ball about a bit too slow at the back. I wouldn't be too worried about fatigue. I mean, it's only Keogh's only player to play all of those games himself. Uh, Lampard does make use of the squad. I think what would be more interesting would be to look at, you know, playing minutes. Obviously, Keogh's played the maximum amount he could possibly play. Um, but looking at playing minutes of all the players, Mount was also in that bracket until his injury, which was probably a mistake from Lampard, as we've previously discussed. Um, but yeah, I'm not too worried about fatigue. We, the, the other problem is we might have played more games than anyone else or, or the, the most tied with somebody else. But we've actually still got two games in hand and a lot of other people around us, which is obviously a good thing. And at least, at it's least, more games to play than the others to, still. And at least that's over now. Like The cup distraction is out the window. The old concentrate in the league, klaxon. Um, but it's genuinely necessary for us now, isn't it? It's genuinely necessary. I don't think it's unfair to say that Lampard will be judged on the next four months. Or next three months at the last you know part of this season this is when it's going to make this is not make or break I think no one is saying anything unless we went on a complete disaster you know but the next three months the, the running in the league campaign do we make the top six or not that's what's going to define the season as a success or not on the plus side though at least against Brighton when the changes did come we did make a much better fist of things in the second half we had more width when Yosef Zoom came on I thought we were stretching their fullbacks, weren't they? Um, Ashley Cole came on at half time for Scott Malone. That's an interesting selection dilemma now, I think, because I always thought that Ashley Cole would just be a squad player, really. But 
contribution he made, um, you know, he was getting up and down, cutting out crosses, which is the most important thing for a fullback for Derby County this season, uh, posing an attacking threat as well. He put put some couple of really decent crosses in, and he got his goal as well in 45 minutes on his debut, age 38. Um, no, it wasn't his debut, was it? It was his yeah second um, second appearance. Yeah, second appearance. We couldn't have really asked much more. He's still got it, hasn't he? He has still got it. Um, and I, I, I'm not a big fan of Scott Malone. I'd like to see Ashley Cole given a, given a chance from from the beginning. I do think though that coming off coming on in the second half in a cup game when you're two 0 down, you've got nothing to lose. The team are sitting off you. You haven't got much to worry about going in the other going in the other direction. Is a bit different from starting at home against Millwall, who are going to try and test you early on for sure, or starting away to Nottingham Forest on a Monday night. I mean, that's that's a different kind of test for a player of, of his age, and you know who might not be quite matched up. But I agree with you. I thought he was brilliant when he came on. He was very tidy. You could just see his positioning was very good. He was supporting. He was offering width, and he put in some excellent some excellent balls. The goal was a bit lucky, but he was fo- following the ball in. He was in the right place at the right time. Just even little things like there was just a little give and go that Brighton attempted down the right at one point. I seem to remember, and he read and, it, uh, and he, he read it really well. Like he did this, read it in a way that I'm not sure one of our other fullbacks may necessarily have done as well. And he rather than trying to chase after it, he just got a crucial toe on it and put it out for a corner. Um, and it didn't seem like much at the time, but that, you know, it's those little things that you notice that you think, oh, yeah, you can see why he's got 100 England caps, can't you? <laughs> yeah, and he was organised, and I think the commentators picked up on it. Uh, Darren Fletcher picked up on it quite quickly, but Ashley Cole was very, took a very vocal, visual leadership role from things like set pieces, making sure people were switched on. And that's the kind of thing that we have been guilty of, is switching off at important moments in matches. So anything small like that will be a big benefit to, to Derby and I think the left back slot is definitely up for grabs. Let's look at the glass half full approach though. A few you know, a few positives to come out of that I would say. We we are out. Not great, obviously, but at least we don't have to put up with BT Sport calling our goalkeeper Keller Rose anymore. It's that, Darren that was, Fletcher. Darren Fletcher that was for getting like particularly three matches annoying. in a row has called him <laughs> Keller Rose. Like why will this man learn? It's like booze but with an R. Just you know, it's it's not hard. Um the partnership Keo and Tamori are developing as we say I think that's really coming on every game and uh, you mentioned before that Keo's now played every minute of every game this season that's a hell of an achievement I think in the in the blood and thunder week in week out of the championship Ruse as we say is getting better um, made a few decent saves against Brighton and Ipswich as well I mean he hasn't really made any absolute worldy saves the, the, the Accrington Stanley one is probably the best save that was the best one yeah but the sort of saves that Carson made against like Middlesbrough away last season or like Man United away in the cup that you can definitely say that save got us two two extra points or that save saved us a point but he's doing the basics well no howlers I mean that's something to be proud of for a goalkeeper um, and he does seem to be getting better with each game as well would you agree yeah, I think he's growing in confidence. And I think if you speak to, as we referenced before, the loan moves he's had previously, fans have loved him. He's, he's gone on good runs and played well. And then maybe it's been one area that's kind of broken that spell of confidence. Uh, so hopefully, I, mean, I know we keep saying it, but hopefully we don't see a high, you know, a high profile error. And it's, it's how he reacts to that. You know, what happens if he makes a mistake in the first half hour at the city ground? Um, a week on Monday. That's the ultimate test. Isn't yeah, it? I mean yeah. that is going to be the ultimate test. Actually, and it looks like he'll probably play as well. So, well, there's no, there doesn't seem to be any indication that Carson's coming back anytime soon. It all seems a bit 
well, I'm sure he is generally injured, but it all seems a bit odd. It's very quiet on that front. I mean, it, it is a concern, actually, because if Ruse was to get injured, we are we are struggling. Down to our third choice, yeah. yeah. Well, hopefully it won't come to that. Uh, Jack Marriott, back fit, of course, uh, came on as a sub against Brighton, having missed a few games. We're really going to need him. That's patently obvious. But we asked you guys as well what you thought the positives were from the Brighton game. We're out of the cup, of course, but... It's not, not all doom and gloom, as we like to regularly say on the pod. Uh, so Richard Byrne, he said to us on Twitter, Kellerouz made good decisions and a few instinctive saves. Uh, for all the Keo detractors, he's played every minute, battles for every ball, and moves on after a decision ready to face it as the consummate professional. Uh, Michael Broadley said, Ruse is growing in confidence and stepping up to the plate. Cole looks class. Tamori and Keo did their job. Alex Taylor tweeted us, he said, all three of Frank's subs making an impact. They have to be in contention to start against Millwall. Rue's starting to look very good. Uh, Ian Holmes got in touch. He said, the main positive for me was Josef Zoon's cameo provided genuine width and created problems in the wide channels. My personal view is that he would flourish better in a 4-4-2 rather than a 4-3-3. And finally, uh, Nick Rag said on Twitter, 4 4 once Yosuzun came on, Ashley Cole at left back got to have a change of formation. Four three three doesn't work. Teams have figured us out again. Any response to those tweets? I think it's fair to say, as we as we touched on, that teams have possibly figured figured us out. There's definitely at least one way of playing against us where you sit off and allow the defenders just to keep the ball, which is seen to be neutralising us, and we don't seem to have an obvious plan B particularly with, with, if someone like Nugent's up front. I think going to 4-4-2, I don't think you necessarily have to completely change the formation. I think actually just getting the balance right, both in the central midfield positions and in those front three, if it's Wagon or Marriott out up front, then let's have someone giving genuine width on the right-hand side or the left-hand side in, in Bennett or Joseph Zuni, as in a right-sided player playing right wing. And then you can allow to have a Harry Wilson or someone else who's playing on the other wing who's willing to cut inside and then you need to get that balance right in the middle of, the, of different kinds of players I just think it's a width issue that it was so obvious in that first 65-70 minutes against Brighton that there was no out ball out wide the fullbacks kept getting isolated on, on either flank and it wasn't until you know Flojo and Flojo he didn't play brilliantly but he, he beat his man he got balls in and he gave them something else to think about and, and he stretched the play and it, it created space for others and it was it was so blatantly obvious in that first half we were missing width let's just get more width in the team it doesn't have to be through a 4-4-2 you can still play 4-3-3 but let's just get some more width in the team and give teams something different to think about more in a second on uh, Steve Boomer's Washing Derby County podcast which is partnered for the season with Derby Brewing Company the family run Micropub operator in Derby with three venues across the city, including the Tap, which is walking distance from Pride Park Stadium. Hi, I'm Dean Sturridge. Hi, I'm Paul Pesky Solido. Hi, I'm Curtis Davis, and you're listening to Steve Bloomer's Washing. So, we're going to turn our attention for the next few minutes onto matters in the stands and the atmosphere at Pride Park. We can all agree, can't we, that it's when it's rocking for the big games, it's a great place to be, but that hasn't always been the case this season and in the past few years um, there's a new supporters group hoping to change that however club 84 and one of the rams fans behind it paddy breslin is on the phone with us now how's it going paddy you all right afternoon gents very good sir how are you keeping we're not too bad but the reason we had you on is the supporters group that you've founded yourself with some other like-minded 
Derby supporters. So just tell us, to begin with, how did Club 84 come to exist and what are the aims of the group? Well, I think you've touched on it, really, that um, we're a group of like-minded fans who just think that Pride Park doesn't accurately reflect the passion that Dad County, have, uh, Dad County fans have for, for their club. And it's interesting you mention that Pride Park can be rocking. I think that's part of the, our motivation, that we know how good it can be. But actually, um, for even for the big games this season, um, that hasn't really sparked into life, I think, most noticeably. Uh, the Nottingham Forest game, which has to be the quietest, flattest East Midlands derby, uh, I mean, possibly ever. Um, I, I certainly, I mean, I've been going since 1998, certainly uh, hasn't been a flatter East Midlands derby atmosphere. And, uh, you know, it's not like the team currently aren't easy to support. You know, Frank Lampard's bought a great deal of uh, passion and a real connection with the supporters. And uh, he's got a young team that, that we, we want to get behind vocally. And I think logistical factors, which could really make a difference, there are um, a couple of uh, aims and objectives that we want to implement, which we think will just bring back that real volume that you can hear from the South End when things are really starting to rock. Um, you had a statement of interest out uh, for the fans with a deadline of last night. How successful has that been so far? So, I mean, by the time this goes out, that will have been completed. Uh, the statement of interest was to get uh, a group of people who like to vocally back the team for 90 minutes um, into one area within the South Stand next year to be the spark which sets the South Stand off. Um, now, we don't know yet, and the club um, have supported us. They've been fantastic, the club, uh, actually. The support of ladies on officers in particular have been brilliant. Um, and so they set up this statement of interest so we can gauge how uh, popular this idea is broadly, and then they'll look at if it is possible to implement it logistically. We're sort of we're, we're waiting to see if we've been successful in really rallying support for this idea. So to fill fans in on this, the the basic idea you guys have is to get a focal point in the south stand, which we can all agree is the stand where the most noise comes from when things are going well. And you guys want to you know concentrate the atmosphere in a specific part of the south stand in that singing section, and that's what the club have got behind haven't they so what you know if everything goes to plan how would you picture things in say this time next season if it really got off the ground and all the fans did move and relocate as you guys are hoping for so i mean we're not necessarily expecting huge amounts of numbers lots and lots of people go to football with their family lots of people go to the uh, football with uh, young children there is absolutely no hierarchy in supporting Derby County and we don't believe that uh, for a second. What we're hoping for is a block within the South Stand as I say which which is this spark. Um, so if you I think probably the example I used on the uh, sports scene phone in uh, when I was on recently was the Holmesdale Fanatics at, uh, at Crystal Palace um, and they they are a group or they were originally were a group of less than, than 300 occupying one block with flags um, uh, they do use a drum. I know that that's an issue that split supports. Um, um, but uh, they use a drum and they um, come up with creative songs. They have visual demonstrations and they're just they're the example that we're trying to emulate. Now, where this block would be in the South Stand, um, it depends very much on a. Have we been successful in convincing enough people um, that that they want to be a part of something similar? Um, and b. Uh, where tickets are available. I can't stress enough that the club are not considering moving people against their, their will. That is not an option 
So it will depend. They have frozen um, Dub County season tickets, new season tickets being bought in the South Stand. You're currently able to renew in the South Stand, but you're not able to buy new tickets there. So what we'll, we will see is what numbers have we got? And then uh, the relocation week, um, is there a suitable location for us um, to be based? And the dream, <laughs> the ultimate dream would be having that a very obvious section of like-minded fans who are keen to back the team regardless of score performance for 90 minutes, which then bring back that real South Stand atmosphere, which, as we saw actually at the most recent home game, uh, when the South Stand gets going, the whole ground gets going. And we, we've got a, a fantastic set of supporters. And actually, the atmosphere at Pride Park um, on its day is superb, but it's just not had its day enough over the last two seasons. I, I would definitely echo that about Pride Park, um, Paddy, because it can get going. And as you say, that the main sound does come from the South Stand, but Chris and I have sat quite a lot of times this season in the top of the East Stand, and there's been definitely a growing group there starting to make some noise. So I think the whole the whole of Pride Park does does seem to try and get behind Derby in, in, in certain moments. This kind of initiative has, has been attempted before, however, and hasn't really got off the ground. Are you guys confident that you can kind of get it off the ground and have, have the right uh, processes in place to, to succeed this time? Yeah, so, um, you know, uh, groups have come and gone for whatever reason. And uh, what we are doing is making sure at Club 84 that we've got structures in place, which means that um, we uh, learn the lessons from the past and make sure that we're a sustainable group which engages the community, the larger, larger Derby County community on many, many different issues. Um, and we hope that with the structures that we're able to um, to yeah to implement um, some of these ideas with the consent of as I say with the consent of Derby County fans, really the bonus for us has been that the club have been so um, behind the project from top to bottom. We haven't had any communications with uh, Frank Lampard unfortunately, but he uses probably he used probably three post-match interviews to talk specifically about how important it is that the home fans get behind the players and how much it makes a difference for this largely very young and enthusiastic side and we're here to stay I think the trick is if we will learn as we go along if there's stuff which doesn't work that we do we'll, 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 we'll learn from that and we'll evolve and we'll adapt to make sure that, that you know what we're doing is as very close to universally popular as possible um, what I do think is that there is a growing desire lots of things which um, have damaged atmosphere at football games are here to stay high ticket prices uh, televised matches new fixtures we're not going to be able to alter that what we can do is try and resist some of that stabilisation that then, then comes about in the stands, making a sort of a stale, more corporate uh, atmosphere. I'm just sort of thinking out loud here, Paddy, really, but I know you see examples of this at some other European grounds and even one or two English grounds where there'll be that block of, uh, I don't want to really use the word ultras, but, you know, sort of uh, very vocal fans and they'll have someone at the front like facing away from the pitch towards them like orchestrating the singing almost um i know it's the sort of thing that you know other teams would completely rip the piss out of us for but i mean <laughs> if um you know if it really got the ground going and got that south stand bouncing from minute one to minute 90 is that something you guys would consider well if you know anyone who's selling off cheap microphones then do let us know um, <laughs> i think what we'll we're, we're we're open to ideas we're open to suggestions and certainly we won't rule anything like that out I think really if you can get a block of two three four 
hundred like-minded people, you can be quite creative. So the visual de- demonstrations from some previous groups, I thought was superb and really added something to the match days. And and without them, um, you know, they, it maybe maybe the atmosphere has taken a hit subsequently. I don't know. It's difficult to tell. I mean, but certainly we're open to ideas. Well, we wish you all the best with it for the season. Certainly, I think anything that can be done to improve the atmosphere because I think most fans would agree it probably could improve and uh, you know it takes a lot of takes a lot of hard work to get something like this going so we wish you all the best with it but we couldn't let you go Paddy without asking you about um, matters uh, on the pitch but it's been a roller coaster season hasn't it what division do you think Derby County will be, play- will be playing in next season I mean part of me just thinks it doesn't matter I'm just delighted that we've got someone like Frank Lampard in because he, he's made mistakes I think he made mistakes at Ipswich but he completely is bought into the ethos of the club and the young players I know some of them are on loan and that, that might be a problem next year but the young players are so easy to get behind the passion and the enthusiasm of someone like Victor More has been the highlight of my season I'm disappointed that we didn't um, play much better in the uh, in the first half against Brighton that will be I think the most disappointed I end up being all season if we don't quite make the playoffs fantastic we get to play in the most exciting division in Europe again next season Paddy thanks ever so much for coming on all the best with the uh, with the projects and enjoy the rest of the season absolute pleasure Jen thanks for having us on so thanks for Paddy for talking to us Paddy Breslin from the Club 84 supporters group there the end of, end of that chat Richard he was cautiously optimistic perhaps about finishing in the top six but I'm going to put you on the spot now 15 games to go two thirds of the way through the season will we finish in the top six yes or no no Really? Yeah. Calling it? No, I know that even last two weeks ago we were saying that we could still make the top two in it, and there is a world where that could happen. But I think we, we're we not going to show the consistency that other teams are showing. I think there's probably only one spot up for grabs. I think everyone above us, everyone from one to five, will, will, will get it, uh, top six. And then I think it's between us, Bristol City, possibly Forest, and a couple of others who could still make a run to get that sick position. I, I can't see us putting a seven or eight game winning streak together, which is going to get us over the line. The next two games are clearly massive. Millwall at home and Forest away, the big one in uh, on the Monday night. But it's Bristol City are on that incredible run, aren't they? Nine wins in a row, I think it is. But there's no way they're going to keep that up. So in their next 10 games, the next 10 league fixtures include Norwich away, Leeds at home, Sheffield United away, Middlesbrough away, and West Brom at home. I mean, if they're still up there after those, then we can't really argue with that, can we? No, not absolutely not. And you say they can't carry on, but we have seen teams like Fulham last season, that run just keeps going and going and going. And once you get the momentum, if you get a bit of luck along the way, you stay clear of some major injuries, and you pick up results against other top teams, that'll be the ultimate test of them. And as you said, fair play to them if, if they carry on. You know, they've shown more consistency in the last 10 games than we have all season. So, you know, good luck to them. I just think that's what we're missing. We're just missing that momentum now. And and really, this is the period where we could do it because the fixtures are relatively kind or have been relatively kind. We've just drawn a few games too many, unfortunately. Do you know what our last away game of the season is? Bristol City away. Bristol City away, yeah. Yeah, so that it could be a shootout for the top for sixth place. Could be, it, a, could be an away day for the ages, that one. Or it could be Bristol City's chance to secure top two on the current form. So, you know, who knows how it's going to end up. But could hopefully there's something to play for for us on the final day. I think we will. I'm going to I'm gonna be the yin to your yang on, the, on this one. I know we've got the easier fixtures 
on paper, which has never really counted for much in previous seasons. But I think combine that with how difficult the fixtures are for the teams above us, I think we'll sneak in. I don't think we'll go up. I don't think we'll, win, we'll get anywhere in the playoffs. I think it'll be quite similar to last season in that sense. I mean, let's be honest, over two games, Leeds have turned us over over two games. Sheffield United beat them at home, but they turned us over away. I wouldn't be hugely confident against them. And Norwich, we've beaten them away, actually unbeaten against Norwich this season, taking, West four, Brom. Point, taking four points off him. And West Brom would beat comfortably away from home. I know our, our record is good against some of those teams, but even despite that, I'm just not that confident. I think I think it's obviously it's too early to talk about playoff permutations, but I think, you know, the way where this team is at the moment is we can beat anyone on a, we can beat anyone on our day and we can throw in a horrible performance against anyone on our day, whether that means losing to a team that's bottom of the league or or getting pummeled by someone who's top of the league. I just think this team's very unpredictable and we need to the only thing I'd the, what I'd like to see in the second half of this season or the remainder of this season is just the team become a bit more confident to change the way they're playing during a match if it's not going well not wait not have to wait until half time Tom mentioned it in his text to us they looked like they were desperate to get in at half time and change you can't afford to just wait until the manager tells you what to do they've got to start coming up with solutions on the pitch whether that be Wilson going out wide or Huddleston finding space to give other people space they need to start fixing problems and have a plan B because at the moment teams have worked us out and we won't we won't if we don't get a plan B during matches we're not going to get top six. You're right there that we did prove against Ipswich that performances can definitely wobble at this time of the season when teams start to sort of realise what is at stake, and it was such a disappointing performance against Ipswich it really was. And when Tom Lawrence got us off the mark, who we should give some credit to because we've given him a lot of stick recently, but. Scored after a few minutes, um, even got slightly injured in the process, which is why he was out of the squad against Brighton, we're told. But after that, we just we were so complacent, as, as if we just expected Ipswich to roll over. We didn't really attempt to go after them, kill the game off before half-time, which we could have done, and we have done against Ipswich away in previous seasons. Just a real disappointment. And they probably had their... Until the last 10 minutes, they probably had the better chances, really. They had a... Great shot cleared off the line, like a miracle clearance from Dwayne Holmes. Had some other decent chances as well from set pieces and, and crosses. Um, and the worrying thing is that we just seem to let them cross it in. Like we, we Again, we weren't they weren't getting in behind us. They were just getting down the line, playing it back again and just pumping it in there. Um, and that was a concern for me. Well, that's the same old problem. And we've, and we've talked a lot about letting crosses into the, into the box. But for me, it's, again, it goes back to mentality you're right it was a big missed opportunity it's a big missed opportunity just going to Ipswich away in the first place because they're bottom of the league it's an even bigger missed opportunity when you consider we won their lap after three minutes those are the kind of games where that should suit that should suit this team massively Ipswich have then got to try and come out they need to win games they need to pick up points they've then got to come out and go at us to get an equaliser and we should be able to pick off teams in that situation we have proved we can do it we have done it at home this season we've got an early goal when we pick teams off um yeah, extremely disappointing on, on Wednesday. And to be honest, it's the Wednesday performance more than the Brighton performance, which makes me say that we won't get top six. My sort of takeaway from the last two games, I think, is that when we do have our strongest 11 out and they're all playing in tip-top form, I think we can score and beat anyone. Do, but... we, know, do we know what our best 11 is? Does Lampard know what his best 11 is? Well, in theory, the best 11 in their suited positions, but... I don't think he but does. But we, we don't really know that because players have dipped in and out of form all season, really, haven't they? 
The, um, other, the other thing to ask is if is he giving players a fair enough crack? In you know, when was the last time Flojo started three games in a row on the right wing? I don't think probably this year. Maybe last, maybe at this first half of the season before Christmas. Wagon moves between right wing and up front. I feel like he's changing maybe a bit too much now. And now he's got those options in there with Andy King, with Ashley Cole. We might even see more changing. I think he doesn't know what his best team is, and I think that might be a problem for the next three months. There's a couple of positions where you could definitely make that case. Like, left-back could be either of them. The right person on the right of that three could be any one out of three players. Defensive midfield. Yeah, defensive midfield seems to chop and change as well. On the one hand, you want that settled 11, like teams have done in the past and got promoted automatically. But on the other hand, we've got to try and manage the fixture list. Um, but at least now the cup's out of the way, as we've said. And yeah. hopefully this shouldn't be as much of a problem for Lampard between now and the end of the season as it has been since Christmas. Yeah, I think now he's got an opportunity to really play, hopefully, a more consistent side. Of course, you do have to dip players in and out. You do have injuries to contend with. But I think this is an opportunity now for him to say, OK, this is my key group of 15, 16 starters, say and they're going to play regularly, and we're going to try and build more combinations and, and more tactical consistency. So 51 points right now, and we're seventh. Um, you're nodding. <laughs> <laughs> I definitely knew that. Um, with 15 games to go, the average usually for the top six is about early 70s, isn't it, I think? So we need, what, the equivalent of seven, seven wins from our last 15? So we need to win on average, every other game. And someone did make the point to me that if you win most of your home games and draw most of your away games, that is playoff or promotion form. Yeah, and as I said, I think it's doable. I'm not saying that we can't finish top six. You know, there is a world where we could win all 15 games. Every game is winnable. Every game in this league is winnable. Every game in this league is losable. Sounds like I'm copping out a bit here, but, you know, we've got it in us to win the games. We've also got it in us to lose the games. So I just think on the balance of probabilities and on the evidence of our form so far. You know, let's not forget as well that we have gone four games unbeaten in the league, which, you know, two wins and two draws. So that that's kind of doing what we said. That's, that's doing what you said, which is win your home games, draw your away games. So, you know, it's, it's hopeful. And we shouldn't be too doom and gloom. I just think there's other teams around us putting more of a run together. And I don't see space above us. I just see challenges below us. I'm going to hold you to this at the end of the season. Okay. Depending on what happens. Um, our next pod will probably be we're going to maybe do one after Forest uh, discussions ongoing about that one but if not then we'll be back in a couple of weeks while you're here don't forget to subscribe to the podcast you know what to do by now please do tell your friends give us a retweet or even give us a cheeky review on iTunes you can subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud and now Spotify you can follow us on there as well you can also follow us on social. Uh, we're on Facebook, Twitter, at Steve Bloomer Pod, and Instagram. And uh, any other business for you, Richard? Before we go, no. Uh, I think we, hopefully we will we will do something for the Forest game uh, down at the uh, at the at the stage door in Waterloo. So we'll uh, we'll hopefully see a few Derby fans down there. Results permitting, and depending <laughs> on how drunk you and Tom are. Yeah, let's, let's see how we go. <laughs> But until then, thanks very much for listening. As we said, do share. Please try and tell your friends and family about the podcast if you can. Thanks a lot for listening. We'll see you again soon, Richard. Thanks for your time. Thank you very much. Goodbye for now.